This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Let's face it, when they invented radio, this show was pretty much what they had in mind. I say that not to be self-aggrandizing, because, but because, honestly, I think this is the truth. This is a full-service radio show. You're about to hear a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We have expert analysis. We have news. We have commentary. We got great music. We've got some funny stories. We have some uh, all sorts of things that uh, measure the full spectrum of the human condition, including the one and only Colonel Daniel Davis, who is going to join me in uh, just a little bit. He is one a decorated war hero who has been very outspoken on military and foreign policy issues for a long time. We'll talk about what's going on in the Middle East and uh, what is going on in Eastern Europe, among other places. Now, I want to go to a story that we've been chronicling for literally years now. I, I think I've been doing this story since this show launched three years ago. And that has to do with the uh, Gilgo Beach serial killings. If you're not up on this, I I imagine everybody is at least somewhat familiar with this. But there was an arrest made in the Gilgo Beach serial killer case. And the uh, person that is accused, Rex Hewerman, is facing murder charges of killing multiple people, most of them sex workers, And he's going to go on trial. Does not look very good for him from a legal perspective. But as Noam Layden brought to our attention when we were doing this story, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday of last week. And if you're listening on, you know, if you didn't hear that, you can go back and listen to the podcast. Just search The Other Side of Midnight. We do these great commentaries with uh, Noam Layden in our fourth hour. He finds these stories that nobody is is paying attention to and gets them before anybody gets them. In any event, he told us what his wife was up to, the wife of Rex Hewerman, the Gilgo Beach murderer. And he made clear that they had gotten divorced. She had filed for divorce six days after this man was arrested. And look, there's no indication that the wife knew anything about this. It's every indication that this guy was leading a total double life and went out and committed these murders when his wife was not around. And the wife goes to visit Hewerman in prison and says in summer substance, you ruined my life. Uh, I, we have nothing now. We're total pariahs. The least you could do is sign over the house to me. And he did that. 
signs over the house to his wife. She's got this house, which probably goes for probably about a half million dollars or so. You never know. Now that the real estate brokerage boondoggle is up, you know, uh, these prices may come back down to earth a little bit. But the interesting thing that Noam Layden brought to my attention when we talked about this case is why this woman is even going to court appearances at all. If Think about it. If you were married to someone and you found out that this person that you were married to that you'd spent years with wasn't who they seemed, they had been living this double life and was, uh, you know, I don't like to make judgments about most people, but this is someone that calls for judgment. This is someone that was totally evil. And presumably the wife didn't know that he was evil. Wouldn't you want to just kind of cut and run, have nothing to do with this guy ever again and never see him again? So why would she be going to court? Well, she's going to court because she is participating in a documentary about this case. You want to know why she hasn't done any interviews with any media outlets, no print publications, no television, no radio? It's because she has partnered with Peacock, NBC. Peacock, we have a streaming network where in our house it's best known as the place where they show some uh, children's programming. I think uh, Tommy the Dragon is on there. But she's partnered with Peacock. And two independent sources have confirmed in a story that was originally broken on News Nation that the the wife, now the ex-wife, Asa Ellerup, she and her two children are going to receive at least $1 million for participating in the documentary. So she's cut this deal with Peacock where she's telling her story exclusively to them. They're going to monitor her and her children throughout every step of this trial. She's going to go to the court. She's going to uh, watch the evidence. And then she's going to react not to CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, just to this Peacock documentary. And in exchange, she is going to be paid, she and her children are going to be paid about a million dollars. Additionally, not each, that's total. She, I think, gets about... Six or seven hundred thousand, and each of the children get a couple hundred thousand. Her lawyer is also going to get a pretty nice payday. Her lawyer, Robert Macedonio, is said to have signed a four hundred thousand dollar deal. The lawyers for the children are also getting multiple hundred thousands of dollars. So I Wonder how you feel about this, because here is someone who may have killed. We don't know how many people he killed, but it probably at least one, two, three. There's 11 bodies that have been found. I think there's a good chance he's responsible for maybe all 11, but at least three or four. These people in their 20s, Amber Lynn Costello, Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, all murdered. Their families, I'm sure, devastated. The people they knew, devastated. And the wife, who, I want to be very clear, has done nothing illegal. There's no indication she even knew about any of this. The children, doubly so. They're going to make 
a million dollars because their husband and stepfather, Rex Heuerman, was responsible for multiple murders. What do you think about that? Do you think that's right? Should someone who didn't commit a crime but was related to a criminal be able to profit? Now, if this was the murderer himself, he wouldn't be able to. There's Son of Sam law provisions and things of that nature. I'm curious what you think. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I'll give you my take. And uh, if you want to comment, I'd love to hear from you and get your take. But my take is this. This is someone who I think really has had her life upended. This is someone who I think, and probably the stepchildren as well, are probably going to have at least a somewhat difficult time getting gainful employment. At the very least, I'm sure there's a case to be made that they're going to be psychologically screwed up, mentally screwed up. There may be all sorts of issues that may make it difficult for them to hold a job. I don't begrudge them seeing a payday and wanting to make some money because who knows how these people are going to be able to make money going forward. There's not a lot of people that are eager to hire a the the wife or the ex-wife of one of the most famous serial killers in America as their receptionist or as a waiter or as a manager of a restaurant. But I think there's just something unseemly about profiting off of murder. Now, look, I'll be the first to admit I am friendly with some people Uh, Victoria Gotti comes to mind just because she called into the show the other day that have been able to turn the fact that they were related to a criminal into something, uh, something else, a whole media profile for themselves. I think it's a little bit different in her case, but I, I get why people would draw that comparison. What I wish she would do, and who knows, maybe she will do this after there's media coverage about this and things of that nature, what I wish the ex-wife and the children would do is say that we're going to be donating a substantial portion of any money we make from this documentary or if there's a book deal in the future or any other money that we make from telling the story of knowing our husband or stepfather, we're going to donate a substantial amount of money to the victims here. Because I recognize, uh, and look, this documentary is probably going to be easy. I mean, uh, interesting, I should say. And it's easy to see how these people could be victimized, too. But they're not victimized as much as the people that were murdered. They're not victimized as much as the family members who were murdered, of of those that were murdered. So... I don't begrudge them making some money here, especially when they didn't do anything wrong. And I'm sure they had a lot of things that they saw. They, I mean, this guy could not have been, at least I don't think, a well-adjusted, normal husband and stepfather. I'm sure they were subject to all sorts of stuff that was just awful. Not as awful as the murder victim. So that's my take. I think they should be able to make money, but I think that uh, there should be some arrangement made 
for the victims' families as well. What do you think? 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Gary in Bay Ridge. Hi, Gary. Hey, how are you, Frank? I am uh, just wonderful. Thank you. Okay, look, here, here's, here's my take on it. The victims, the murder victims, are the ultimate ones that have felt the pain and the sacrifice for that act, right? But look, if you, what you're saying is correct, this woman had no idea any of this. None of the family had any clue that anything like this was happening. Right. This woman, I'm sure she's not suffering like the people that were killed but she's going through a myriad of shock, right. emotions, all kinds. Her whole world has been turned upside down. And in synergy to that, she has a family that she has to keep together. And some of those children were not even biologically from right. that man, which is an adage unto itself. Now, for the kind of trauma, because she's, she's receiving trauma herself. She's going through a traumatic experience. Again, if you, what you said is correct, that she had no clue than to come on one day and realize that someone you've been with and loved or cared for for years is of that kind of character. What makes it worse, you're living with someone like that, and you, you did, you, you're a fool then. You've been made to look stupid. Right. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely. I, no, I empathize. No, no, so it sounds no, like, Gary, no, you on. think she deserves every penny of this. No, no. It's not that simple. It's not just left or right. There are variables to it, you see? So here's the thing about it. Look, you know, your point is it's a million dollars, Right. Frank, a million dollars in New York is very different than a million dollars in Jackson, Mississippi. I'm aware of that. Uh, believe me. Yes. It, it sounds like a tremendous amount of money. It's not that much money at all because, first of all, she's got to pay taxes on that million dollars. Uh, no, it's true, Gary. But, ratio- Gary, but this is – she could also have other money-making ventures. She could write a book. She could uh, have a 900 number the way Al Cowlings did. She could do any number of other things to make money over her newfound notoriety. And my question for you is, do you think that's right? It sounds like, look, I do. I do think it's right. I do wish, though, that she would give some of the money to the family members of the victims, those of them that had families. Or if you can't, maybe make a substantial charitable contribution to an entity that helps people that are victims of human trafficking or victims of uh, the kind of lives that her husband took advantage of. Bob in Manorville, what do you think? Hey, Frank. I actually think it's 100% wrong, okay? Um, I feel that she should, okay, uh, be able to... uh, uh, take ownership of the house and sell that, okay? But I feel just about all the money, if they do make a documentary, should go to the, like you said, the, the family members of the victims. Um, because part of his punishment while he's rotting in jail will be knowing what he did to his family. You, you follow what I'm saying? I, I do, now, but... Now what, he's, he's benefiting from that. He's I, benefiting from that. But you know, what, um, what about he, what people are saying, the fact that... Um, you know, that she is going to have a hard time now, and in some ways she's a victim. Yeah, but, like, you know what? Like, she could, they could move out of state, her and her two kids, they could sell the money from the house, they'll they'll get a right. half a million dollars for it, for a house in Massapequa, Nassau County, they'll probably get probably more. They can move down south somewhere and start over. 
You follow what I'm saying? I do. Um, I do. And, uh, and Ch- I, I think that's what I would do, honestly, if my wife turned into a, a serial killer, which I don't foresee. 800-848-9222. Those of you that are holding, we will get to you. Colonel Daniel Davis is standing by, though. I'm going to talk with him in just a minute. But I see both sides of this. My take is I think she should be able to make money. I don't think she should be able to have a a life-changing financial windfall while ignoring the victims of her husband's atrocities. That's my take. I realize that may sound like I'm trying to have it both ways, but maybe I am. That's my take. I'll get yours as well a little bit later. 800-848-9222. Colonel Daniel Davis joins me straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Singing about glory days. Well, it's always a glorious day uh, when I get to talk with Colonel Daniel Davis. Unfortunately, uh, so often we end up uh, talking about uh, things that are just uh, awful. And, uh, you know, he's not somebody that I generally call upon to talk about how nice the weather is or uh, how everybody's getting a 20% raise this year. He is uh, an incredible man, a real warrior and a real scholar. Not only is he a retired U.S. Army colonel who's been deployed in four combat zones, not only is he a brilliant man who's a senior fellow and a military expert with defense priorities, he's now hosting a terrific show on the internet called Deep Dive. You could get a look at it on the YouTube, but he's also an author. He wrote a terrific book called 11th Hour in 2020 America, How America's Foreign Policy Got Jacked Up and How the Next Administration Can Fix It. I've read the book, and I have to tell you, even though it's three or four years later, the book is more timely now than ever. And if, unfortunately, America would have heeded some of the warnings that Colonel Daniel Davis laid out four years ago. I think there's a good chance not only would America be more secure, the world might actually be more secure. It is always great to welcome back to the program Colonel Daniel Davis. Colonel, appreciate the opportunity to chat. Frank, it's a pleasure to be back. It's been too long. Absolutely. It absolutely has. Uh, Obviously, Colonel, all eyes are on the Middle East. Uh, There are so many different aspects of this to dissect. Let me begin by asking about something that I feel like we heard a great deal about 
right after October 7th. But in the last three or four weeks, we haven't heard as much about. And that's the intelligence failures that led to this horrible Hamas attack on Israel. I was always under the impression that Israel with the Mossad and with the Shin Bet and with the incredible alliance that the uh, Israelis have with the United States intelligence apparatus, they had among the most sophisticated intelligence operations in the world. How is there an intelligence failure of this magnitude that leads to an attack like this, Colonel? Yeah, I think that there's two things that are simultaneously working against Israel in this. Number one, uh, from the Israeli side, was frankly arrogance. Uh, they, They believed that they were, they believed all the, the press that you just mentioned there, that they were the best in the world, the Shin Bet, the Mossad. Uh, you know, they've got a long history of having great intelligence. They have the top of the line in uh, technology with, with sensors, with, with camera systems, with uh, uh, electronic intelligence, human intelligence, just, you know, sites on there. They really thought they had this figured out. And they also had a, a few of the Hamas fighters that they were backwards, that they were basically afraid uh, and that, that they could take care of anything. And so it was on a holiday and a Shabbat combination, and they just didn't think anything was going to happen. That's one side of it. The second side was from the Hamas side. They have been paying a great deal of attention to how uh, Israel does its intelligence over this now is the fifth time they've actually had combat since 2007. You know, they've had various little wars of, of different sizes. And they have been paying a great deal of attention to how Israel operates. They knew some of the radio communications that were uh, uh, compromised. So they knew that Israel would be listening to this, and they spent months feeding them intentional misinformation. So that basically telling Israel what they wanted to hear was that the Hamas was afraid to try anything, that they would not risk a, an open conflict with Israel. And so it lulled them to sleep. Meanwhile, they were the Hamas side was actually preparing and training out in the open for months heading into this, and then only now did they realize what they were doing. They just thought it was either oh, just doing stuff inside the Gaza Strip just to keep fit or whatever. Well, it turns out they were doing very deliberate practice and training and preparation for this, uh, and, and then it just exploded in their face, in Israel's face, on that, and, and uh, you know now they're trying to recover from it. But that I think is the is the core reason why they had the problem on October seventh. The uh, front page of the Sunday New York Times had a very interesting headline, kind of a provocative question, and I'm going to ask you to do your best to answer it. The The headline in the Times was, is Israel's strategy to eradicate Hamas working? What do you think? Is it working? No, it's not. I mean, you, you can't. I mean, that's been one of my bigger frustrations here is that Israel, understandably, was extraordinarily angry after October 7th, and for justifiable reasons because of the, the heinous the nature of many of these terrorist attacks and, and how they were expressly going after uh, civilians and how they were barbarous, you know, just terrible things were done to the civilian population, more than just killing them. So it's understandable. But the problem is you're now trying to set a, a military tactical objective that, in my view, can't be accomplished. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and many of his senior cabinet members have expressly said their objective is to destroy Hamas, to bring peace to Israel. And this is not going to happen. The whole reason why the, the Hamas rose in the first place was out of response to what had happened really since 2007. And, and the fact that they have never been able to come to a two-state solution, Israel has never been able to give the Hamas side 
or the Palestinian side, rather, anything that they could, you know, have some hope that there would be a future for. Uh, and so it was just building up frustration and frustration. And now, of course, you had this big war. Well, the, the result to try to physically destroy Hamas, Hamas is more an idea than it is a physical infrastructure. And now there's been a, an egregious number of Palestinian innocent civilians who were just as innocent as the Israeli civilians who were slaughtered. And there's now 13,000 of them or more, and uh, the majority of those are, are, are women and children and innocent people. And that is – you can't kill that many people in the process of this and destroy entire sections of the city as they have and, and then think that at the end of the day that, that somehow that surviving population is going to be passive. The very things that led to the rise of Hamas have now been exacerbated. So. Israel is not going to be safer at the end of this because now then there's going to be – I've seen this myself uh, you know, in my times in both Iraq and Afghanistan where we would go and we would kill a lot of the Taliban members, a lot of the al-Qaeda members, and all it would do because of the, the, uh, the casualties that we inadvertently caused with some of the civilian population sometimes would create more Taliban than we ever killed. However many we killed in all those years, we always created more. And I can't imagine that something different is going to happen in the Gaza Strip. And I think that at the end of the day, uh, Israel is going to have created more enemies for themselves than they ever kill. Uh, we're talking with Colonel Daniel Davis. You could check out his show on uh, YouTube. It's called uh, Deep Dive with uh, Colonel Daniel Davis. Just search uh, Deep Dive Daniel Davis on YouTube. It comes right up. Uh, I've learned a lot by uh, by watching the show. There's great interviews on there, some great commentary on there as well. Colonel, as it stands now, uh, it's been reported even as of uh, this moment that negotiators are getting closer to an agreement with Hamas to release an initial 50 civilians in exchange for Israel allowing in more aid, including fuel, and uh, this would include a pause in fighting. And there's no firm deal in hand, but apparently there is a written draft agreement that's being passed between the Israelis, between Hamas, with the help of the United States and Qatar, who are doing what they can to try to broker this deal. Now, right after... October 7th, and not only the sheer number of innocent people that were killed, we heard a lot about the sheer brutality of Hamas. There were stories of uh, murdering uh, murdering babies and beheading babies. There were stories of uh, them uh, capturing elderly women. There were stories of uh, innocent people in their early 20s going to a rock concert who've never been soldiers in anything, being brutally murdered. And I think because of all these stories, a lot of us got the impression that Hamas was not an entity that could be negotiated with, that it was essentially nothing but a barbarous group of Nazi terrorists who are not only unreasonable, but you just can't reason with them. And that fit into what Netanyahu was saying, why they have to be eradicated. The two stories do not seem to jive with one another. From your perspective, is Hamas a bunch of Nazi terrorists who can't be negotiated with and have to be eradicated? Or are they rational enough to do these sort of mutually beneficial negotiated deals with the United States and with Israel? 
Well, I, I think that it's it's kind of a, a messy combination of both of those things because it's without question that Hamas made a calculation before they ever launched the, the first operation that they knew that their only hope was to to expand the war and to bring some other Arabs in, whether that's Hezbollah, Iran, or some of these other uh, violent extremist groups against Israel. And and I, it, it's really starting to look like it, if you can believe what's being said and you know, there's various reasons to believe some of it, at least, is that they were they felt that they were so hopeless that it would be better to try to do something like that and have the chance that most of them were killed. And I think that they are genuinely prepared to die, uh, that they want to try to, to do this. And if it doesn't work, then I think that they know that, that their chances were low, but they were going to give it a shot. But that still, at the same time, there's tactical reasons why they would want to uh, release some of these sausages because initially they were talking that they could literally release all of this is almost three weeks ago they could release all the non-military non-idf hostages that they had it was uh, somewhere around 120 140 of them something like that uh and then that kind of fell through but then now then they're saying all right now how about 50 let's, let's go 50 and i think that probably the the very practical reason is hey let's get 50 we can buy ourselves Three or four days of, of, of a not a ceasefire, but at least a pause, a military pause, while we get these people out. That can, you know, just help them reinforce their positions, you know, that kind of thing, and the militarily uh, to get them out there. And then I think that you'll probably see them in, at some point say, "All right, here's another twenty. We're being willed." So they're going to try to buy themselves time. Uh, and and look, for the Israeli perspective, you know, a lot of people I hear so many say, "No, no, no pauses, no ceasefires, no nothing." Uh, until they give all the hostages back. And, of course, that's not going to happen because then the Hamas side would basically be giving away all of their leverage. They want to do that. Now, I think Israel would be very wise to make every one of those deals that they can and get every single hostage back that they could possibly get because ultimately it's not going to change the outcome. It, it may take a little bit longer, but that's inconsequential because they, Israel has the whole place surrounded already. There's Unless Hezbollah comes in in the north, uh, there's not any help coming in for the, the Hamas there. And even if Hezbollah does, Israel can still handle another or front. They're, they're made for that. They're designed for that. But if you, continue, if you ignore that and say, no, we're going to keep fighting, then all you're going to end up doing is getting those hostages killed. And, and that's not going to benefit anybody. I think they should get every hostage back they can. And just if there's a two or three day pause or delay, that's not going to change the outcome. It'll make it last longer, but you get people back alive. One of the things that uh, that we're seeing is Israel is also not only waging this battle in Gaza, they're trying to wage a PR battle internationally. I, I see uh, Benjamin Netanyahu on every network in prime time more than I see most prime time news anchors, and I'm not exaggerating at all. You were obviously very attuned to the lies that the U.S. government was telling about what was going on in Iraq and the progress about or lack thereof that was being made in Afghanistan. You first came on my radar screen by being willing to tell that story publicly, not only to the public, but to uh, to Congress. Israel has released several pieces of information that have been disputed, including claiming that an Arabic calendar was a shift schedule for Hamas kidnappers and using curtains as evidence that Hostage videos had been filmed at a hospital and the reaction internationally calling out what some people are claiming are questionable pieces of evidence. 
that is uh, something that Israel's opponents have used to weaken Israel's credibility. They're saying that this could even lead to a boy who cried wolf situation unless there's some concrete evidence for some of the claims that Israel's been making. One of the more bold claims that Israel's been making is that there was a Hamas command center beneath Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital, one of Israel's key contentions currently. There's obviously the Geneva Convention and the rules of war, and unless there are very specific conditions met, you're not supposed to invade hospitals. When the Russians were accused of bombing a maternity war internationally, everybody was calling the Russians out for doing this. From what you're seeing, Colonel, um, what do you make of the evidence that has been presented on the Al-Shifa issue? Uh, Was this a Hamas command center? Yeah, I I think you said it right there. That's, you know, it's alleged that this was the case. The problem is, uh, you know, when Israel first went in there and and, uh, started going into the Al-Shifa a few days back, four or five days ago, uh, you know, I was thinking already that it it almost doesn't matter what happens there. They're going to present something that says they could do it. I can't even imagine the possibility that Israel would go in there. They would do this uh, floor by floor, room by room check and then come back and say, well, you know, as it turned out, we didn't find anything at all. We were wrong the whole time. There, There was zero chance of that in my view. So I knew that they would come out with something. Uh, what it's impossible to say from this side is, is that legit? Did they really have that? What they showed, is it genuine or was it, you know, generated or fabricated or was there some Hamas people in there, not a command center, but were there weapons in there? But almost certainly there were, but here's the problem. There's no independent confirmation of it. We're, we're told that we just have to take Israel's word for it. Now, of course, the Palestinian side is saying, this, you know, not only no, but hell no. That was all manufactured. There was none of that stuff. We told you from the beginning. And Israel is saying the opposite. And, of course, each side has motivation to say that their side is right and the other side is wrong. What Israel could have done is to say, all right, we're going to bring an independent group in there, whether that's, you know, the International Red Crescent Red Cross, whether that's some UN, whether it's somebody from, you know, some independent country that's that's you know, not aligned with either side. There's plenty of things they could have done that would have given that claim credibility. But they chose instead to say, no, we're not going to let anybody else in. We're just going to tell you. And so the problem you have is that everybody who already likes Israel believes every word that the IDF said. And those who were against them doesn't believe a word of it. And so at the end of the day, you're in the same place you were before you started. Colonel, just so folks understand, I mentioned the U.S. role in trying to broker negotiations to get some of these hostages freed. I think a lot of people are aware of the American role in funding Israel, not only the uh, 3 to $4 billion that the U.S. government gives the Israelis annually, but now President Biden has asked for uh, another 12 to $14 billion. Other than that, other than the financial aspect of things and the hostage negotiation aspect of things, what is the U.S. role currently when it comes to this conflict? Well, I'll tell you, our our interest, this number one interest, is to prevent this war from expanding beyond the Gaza Strip. That means trying to keep Hezbollah out of Lebanon from coming down to to Israel, trying to keep it from expanding into Iran. And, and keeping the, you know, calm and throughout the Arab League. And you see that uh, weekend or so ago, not this one, the previous weekend, there was 
uh, 57 countries and entities that came together uh, to, uh, almost unified against Israel. They need to keep that under control. Uh, Israel needs to do everything that it can to prevent and to stop the, the, the significant loss of Palestinian life, even if that means the operations have to take months longer, even if that was the case. They are better served to do that and to do everything they can to take care of the innocent civilians than to continue on with what they have been doing, which is almost disregard for the human life and say, nope, we're just going to keep going our military operations until we have tactical success. Because as I point out, you're not going to have the, the you're not going to create peace by doing that. And you're going to ratchet up the chance that this thing does expand because you're going to lose support in the West if these numbers keep going up and you're going to gain enemies in the Middle East if you keep doing that. From a military strategic perspective, one of the things that uh, has gotten a lot of attention, not just in this conflict, but previously, are these tunnels that Hamas uses. And uh, apparently they've been they've been years in the making and there's a pretty sophisticated network of tunnels. How do you manage to combat Hamas when they have these tunnels to hide, to seek shelter? What does Israel do to kind of counter the tunnel aspect of things? Well, there's two separate things. What they've been doing is, number one, that they they already had existing a a suspected target list of where they think these tunnels have been uh, using all all the different kinds of uh, 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 intelligence, whether that's signals intelligence, satellites, drones, sensing devices that they've had in human intelligence sources. So they had an idea. I think that they started off literally bombing everything they even suspected might be a tunnel. And they continued to search and they're, you know, they have almost this constellation of drones and satellites above watching everything that moves down there. So if they ever see anybody come out of a tunnel, then that becomes a quick target. That's one thing. Uh, but the, that that can only get you so far because a lot of them, you're just not going to find it unless you go out and, and hunt for them. And the only way you can do that is to go building by building, searching for those tunnels, and then sometimes you even have to go in them. And that is a really, really painful, slow, and bloody thing to do. Uh, but there's just almost no other way because if you get going too much, too fast, in a hurry, and you you just try to go quickly to take certain areas, and then all of a sudden you you have some of these tunnel entrances that they pop up behind you and they get into areas you think are secure. And then you're going to suffer casualties. And, and uh, it's it's just uh, an ugly, horrible way to fight a war. Uh, but that's just what they have. And they're going to have to nav- navigate that. One of the recent videos that you did, and again, I want to encourage people to check out your YouTube channel. People can just search Deep Dive with Daniel Davis. It had sort of a, a provocative title and you answered the question in the in the title the the question and the title of the video was can israel kill its way to peace now some people are going to hear that and bristle that you're even phrasing a question that way they're going to say look Israel didn't ask for this. Israel was sitting there minding their own business, dealing with um, almost daily rocket attacks that were being repelled by the Iron Dome. And they didn't ask for more than a thousand innocent people to be murdered by Hamas terrorists. So a lot of people are going to take issue with the kind of phraseology of that question. They're not trying to kill their way to peace. They're going to say, well, they're responding to a legitimate terrorist threat. Uh, so two-part question. One, tell me why you phrase the question that way. And two, answer the question for me. Can Israel kill its way to peace? Right. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, look, it, 
without question, and I've never said anything except for the full-throated support for Israel to respond to the terrorist attacks on 7 October, blanket, point blank, no, no caveats, no nothing. Where I do have significant issue, and where I'm saying for Israel's own good, they can't go this way, when you just say, I'm just going to go after every military target, and I don't care how many people are in the way. I, I told them to leave. If they don't leave, that's on them. You can't do that you, because you can't say, I'm going to kill tens of thousands of Palestinian innocent civilians because these Hamas terrorists killed 1,000 of ours. That's, that's just – you can't justify one killing of innocent civilians by based on another. I, because, listen, I've done it this way. I've been in, in these kinds of situations. I've fought in them, and I know how careful that we were in to try to, to avoid civilian casualties. And, and there's many times we failed, and there's many times where there was just collateral damage. And, you know, even the best targeted opportunities still ended up killing innocent people. I've seen it when we made mistakes and we hit the wrong target, et cetera. So I know what has happened there. But what it appears, at least from the outside, I'll admit that, is that Israel is not taking any kind of precautions. If they think there's a target there, they're going after it. It doesn't matter what the casualties are. That is going to harm Israel because they're trying to kill their way, kill all the Hamas, because that's what both uh, the, the defense minister, Gallant, Prime Minister Netanyahu, they are saying that their objective is to destroy Hamas so that they don't have any military ability left. And they're doing that by wanting to kill them all. There's like 30,000 or so reportedly. <laughs> Uh, maybe more. And I'm just telling you, you can't do that because you can't kill enough of them. And because here's what I saw in Afghanistan, and, I'm, and we're seeing it play out here. You go in there and to try to take out these Taliban leaders, you go in there to try to take out these Al Qaeda leaders, and you end up killing innocent civilians in the process. Now that you've just forever one of the actual Taliban you took out, you've now created four right. or five more enemies. They're doing the same thing here, but on an industrial scale. When you take out an entire apartment complex, like just happened a couple of days ago, and, and a, a couple hundred people are killed or wounded, I mean, what do they think is going to happen to the surviving family members of those people? They're going to say, I don't have any reason to, to withhold now. Even if I hated Hamas before, and most of them did, I'm going to have to join them now because otherwise, uh, you know, we're, we're just all going to get slaughtered. So if you try to kill your way out of this, all you're going to do is create more enemies inside the Gaza Strip and in the Arab world, and you risk losing support from the West. And without that, you can't keep prosecuting this war. I have pages worth of questions uh, for you that I could keep you for three hours, but I am going to let you get some sleep. But there's two questions that I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully get a quick response from you on. One is, in the last four weeks, we've heard from a number of people Lindsey Graham, Nikki Haley, Joe Lieberman, Alan Dershowitz, suggesting that we, the United States, needs to, in the aftermath of this, actually carry out some sort of limited military action on Iran. Uh, They believe Iran is uh, responsible for Hamas doing this, either uh, directly or indirectly, and that we need to do something to take out Iran and their military infrastructure. Is that a good idea as far as you're concerned? It is a terrible idea. And, and, And look, first and foremost, that's not what the American military is to do. We, our purpose is not to go kill somebody because we don't like what they're doing to somebody that we care about. We have an alliance systems and, and we have a, you know mutual defense treaties like the Article 5 in NATO, for example, an attack on one is an attack on all. 
we don't have that kind of relationship with, with Israel. There is no requirement that we go and fight wars for them. They have the ability to defend themselves. That's the reason we spend $3.8 billion per year to help them build their own national defense capacity to defend themselves. They can do it. They have succeeded, and they have that capacity. They fought a war in 1967, 1973, without any external help, and they succeeded. Now they're even more powerful. That's not our job, because you go and do that then you almost guaranteeing that you're going to expand this war, that you're going to get more Americans killed and possibly draw us into a war against Iran. And I assure you that there is a lot of things that Iran can do if we attack them that they won't do if we don't initiate an attack like that. It is not in American interest to expand this war, especially if it's a choice we make out of this arrogant belief that we can launch these missile attacks and strike into Israel, into Iran itself and to not have any response. That's the height of arrogance, and that's the bigger chance that we're going to get sucked into a war of our own choosing, and we cannot do that. Colonel, I'm out of time. We're going to have to end it there. you got to come back so uh, I can make some more progress on a lot of these other questions I have for you. Thank you so much. It's always a treat to talk with you. I wish it wasn't always under such dour circumstances. <laughs> I uh, know. Right. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to come on your show. I really do. Thank you. Colonel Daniel Davis. Check him out. Deep Dive on YouTube. The book is 11th Hour, available on Amazon, a bunch of other places. You want to comment? You certainly can. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. With this classic song, Rockaway Beach, this is a a birthday bumper music selection from my friend Laura Caruso. You know, it's funny how life works, especially once you get in the habit of having children and things like that. Laura was uh, a close friend of mine. She was an, an adult intern at a radio station that I was working at because she was just a fan of radio. She didn't need the job. She already had a very successful uh, career. And then um, we became very close friends, and we were close for a while, and uh, I still see her husband once in a while, Ramon, who's also a great guy. And I guess I didn't realize how long it's been since I saw her. And I wished her a happy birthday, and she said, you know, I think, I can't believe the last time I saw you, I was nine months pregnant, and, and I think she's right, it was, and she said, my son is now eight. Time flies. Now, I can't believe when she said that, that I haven't seen her in eight years, which is wild. Uh, I mean, we've corresponded a bit between over the last eight years, but uh, it's just funny how things like that work. Hey, speaking of um, 
family issues, uh, some bad news in the Morano household. On Friday, we, um, we, you know, we, when I came home and I went to sleep, there was no blanket on our bed. And my wife tells me, Bathsheba, our cat who's been sick and who's been undergoing weekly chemotherapy treatments, she's been peeing on our bed and in other places, so I'm cleaning it. I'm going to try and take her to the vet uh, this afternoon. I don't know if this is a side effect of the medication or if she's getting sicker or if there's something else going on here. So um, in any event, my wife takes Bathsheba to the veterinarian on Friday afternoon and it, it turns out that uh, she was getting worse in every measurable way. And she was she had lost control of her bladder and uh, really suffering. And unfortunately, we had to uh, we had to put our, our cat to sleep. My wife had to tell the veterinarian to put our cat to sleep on Friday. And um, we're very uh, today actually would have been her birthday. Today was her 12th birthday. So we're both very upset, obviously. My wife is just uh, devastated. I won't, um, you know, I won't share more than she would prefer. But I will tell you, so she's very attached to all three of her cats. We had three. Now we're down to one. We lost one over the summer and now losing Bathsheba over the weekend. So now we have one. But this was by far her favorite cat. And you can easily understand why. It was my favorite cat as well. When I first started dating my wife, uh, Prissy, who's the cat that's still living, she wanted nothing to do with me. So Melchizedek was openly hostile. I ultimately won him over and we became friends. Bathsheba was incredibly friendly, incredibly warm from the get-go. And not just with me, with anybody. She is such a warm friendly cat she would go up to anybody whether you're a veterinarian a burglar a friend a family member and whereas melchizedek would scratch you and prissy would hiss it would uh, run away uh bathsheba would curl up right next to you and and purr so uh, obviously we're happy she's not suffering anymore but um very heartbroken about uh having to put her to sleep very tough weekend in that respect and it's not that she was like a member of our family. She was a member of our family, so we're heartbroken. All right. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.